0: Hey Teresa, can I tell you about a Vanderberry Wall? Party on dude. It's Schmanners! internet and welcome to Schmanners. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy.
1: And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette for
0: ordinary occasions.
1: We've decided to do a little
0: switcheroo. A little uh, Sadie Hawkins episode.
1: <laughs> um, as many of you may know, we are planning to have our very first live show. So Travis in an effort to keep a lot of the uh, show prep off of my back for this week in preparation for that show, he's going to tell me about who, what what hmm, what's his name?
0: Uh, his name is Evander Barry Wall. Of course, it is the king of dudes. Yes. Now I've wanted to I've wanted to talk about Evander Berry Wall since we started talking about this podcast. I heard about him first on an episode of uh, Baby Geniuses. Which is another awesome Max Fun podcast, um, and he was a their, one of their Wiki of the Weeks where they talk about different Wikipedia pages that they've uh, had submitted. And a- at first, I imagine that for many people, when they hear the King of Dudes, they picture maybe like a super great surfer, or
1: I picture a cowboy or because a cowboy of dude ranching.
0: Exactly. Well, so let's go a little bit into the history of the word dude. Um, the etymology of it, the history of it is not quite clear.
1: Is it a slang term?
0: It is. So, some people believe, and I I tend to lean towards this, that it's derived from the Scottish term, um, basically, duds. Okay. Like, you think about... Like D U D D E S is so whether that's duties or dudes or duds or whatever that it's some well, form of that. And
1: I've heard the term fancy duds. Exactly. Is that like your clothing?
0: Exactly. So this originally dude, in its original form, was meant as a slang term for somebody who was like super dressed up. So like think dandy. Or fop, something along those lines. And actually, um, the first usage of it, people think, is actually was to describe uh, a fancily dressed woman. Okay. But then it kind of became um, a very unisex term for someone, uh, almost like an insult, like fop or dandy, where it's like, that's not an actual insult, but definitely wasn't something that people were calling themselves.
1: Well, when I think of someone who is a fop or foppish, I think of them as very silly,
0: yeah. I mean exactly. It was supposed to be like, oh, you you kind of you're so overdressed to the point of impracticality. Hmm. Um, and then that evolved so like the Dude Ranch that you're thinking of, um, was a term for a city slicker or someone very out of place who was now in like a cowboy or a ranch setting. And usually a dude ranch, from my understanding, was a place where people went and pretended to be cowboys. Ah. For the weekend, but like they had no business actually doing any of it. What's um, that
1: movie? Is that City Slickers? Is it that is. the movie?
0: Um and that idea of like, oh, you you're kind of pretending to be a cowboy. So but then um it it did evolve into kind of more of what we use it as now in like the nineteen sixties and seventies where it became like dude was kind of a catch all term for men. Okay. Um,
1: more like the surfer dude. Yeah, uh,
0: and also used by surfer dudes. And now I would say in 2016, it's a lot more like everything's a dude. Women are dude. Men are dudes. Dogs are dudes. Like well, everything's they certainly dude. are
1: to you. Well,
0: yeah, I mean it's, <laughs> it's become like kind of a, a catch-all, ubiquitous term. But we're specifically looking at that like dandy dude. You know. Okay. Uh, And there are two more things I wanted to hit on before we got into talking about Evander himself. Um, And that is, one, we talked a little bit about this, uh, especially since we're, you know, we're having a baby. Um, The color scheme. Right. Um, everyone thinks nowadays, pink for girls, blue for boys.
1: Well, I wouldn't say everyone. Gender neutral is really coming back in vogue.
0: You are correct. I guess I should say, for a long time, yes. the common held understanding was pink for girls, blue for boys. And actually, in like the early 1920s, um, they tried to push really hard... Uh, pink for boys and blue for girls
1: I have heard about this why?
0: well their their thinking was pink was a much more striking bold color and blue was more muted and and like uh, easier to like blend in so boys should be strong and masculine pink and girls should be quiet and understated blue that didn't really take hold uh, the way that blue for boys and pink for girls did
1: well but I can see the way that they thought because blue is a very calming color Mm -hmm. and if women are supposed to be you know, uh, in the background and not as forward. I can think that blue is pretty appropriate. As for pink, I suppose I would think that a pink that lends itself a little closer towards red, because that's very passionate. That's very thought-evoking and bright and eye-catching.
0: And before that, most uh, children's clothing, especially toddler and younger, was all white, because it was so much easier to bleach it. And basically, <laughs> you would just throw it in a thing with bleach, and you'd be fine.
1: Let's go back to that.
0: Yeah. That sounds good. And so, interestingly, the common-held understanding of why the genderification of colors and color schemes came to be about is the realization that if you did that and separated them, if a family had a boy and then a girl, or a girl and then a boy they couldn't reuse the same clothes, and they'd have to buy a whole new set of clothes.
1: Materialism. Yeah, it was
0: all capitalistic, and it had nothing to do with morals or gender or anything like that. They just said, we need to stop people from reusing hand-me-downs across gender lines. So think about that the next time when someone's like, what? They're degendering. Yeah, it's going to save you money in the long run. Calm down. <laughs> and secondly, I thought about, because, for example, Scarlet Pimpernel, I always think there's great songs in there about, like, why the Lord created men.
1: The the musical. Yes. The Scarlet Pimpernel.
0: And there's songs about, like, men as the peacock, which is, in in nature, a lot of the time what you see is men with, like, or male birds having very striking plumage and very bold and brassy to attract a mate.
1: Right, because the female is the one that chooses the mate of the males that are vying
0: for her attention. Exactly. And it used to be that, like, in, like, the 1600s and early 1700s and before, that men, especially in the upper class, were very, like, were very overdone Mm -hmm. in that department. And... Right now most historians believe in, in what I found in my research, uh, I'm not a historian or a fashion expert, but what I found was well, I'll, I'll let you guess, there was a king that we've talked about many many times as a fashion plate and as a guy that like was a for, you know, at the forefront of a lot of manners and etiquette.
1: Say no more. Louis the 16th.
0: Correct. And so post French Revolution, they kind of went like, well, we don't want like do you really want to show off wealth in class? and that's where what I found referred to as a maniform uniform for men was the shirt, pants, jacket, tie, like let's we're all in this together, brotherhood, and it's not about showing off your wealth, and it's not about being opulent and peacocking around, and that's where we kind of saw this swing towards dudes wear pants, shirts. Or I guess, guys, oh, I'm going to have to be careful about that. Guys <laughs> wear shirts, pants, ties, jackets, and that's it.
1: So it has to do with the difference between the proletariat and the bourgeois?
0: Exactly. You didn't want to seem... And even just in the... So let's get to Evander here, because a lot of uh, everything that refers to him is like, and he was very opulent, and he really went and a dandy, and all and it's like, oh, okay, he just dressed kind of flamboyantly. I'm a big fan of Evander Barry Wall. Let's start there. So... <laughs> So, Evander Barry Wall was born in 1860, and he was a New York socialite. Um, and
1: you know, that's so strange. He was a New York
0: socialite,
1: yes. and from everything you've said, I have thought that he was British or ah, French.
0: Well, no, he was uh, quite American, I would say. And he, uh, so he wanted for nothing. He was born into money, old money. His mom's side of the family was rich. His dad's side of the family was rich. And apparently, he was like a huge favorite of his uh, paternal grandfather and maternal grandmother. And so he, at 18, inherited a, an inheritance, I believe, from his father. And then at 22, inherited an inheritance from his grandfather. Um, and added together, it was an inheritance of about $2, $2 million which in today's money would have been about $43 million. Wow.
1: So um, not not really a self-made man.
0: No, not, <laughs> not at all. Um, the closest he came to working was like he owned a horse stable, which failed. Um, he was like a champagne, not like manufacturer, but kind of like had a stake in a champagne company. Like these were the closest he really came to like a job in his entire life. Um, Did
1: he have an estate to manage?
0: I mean, not really. That's the, mm. Like, he had other brothers and sisters. And so he was not the oldest. He wasn't really taking care of it. He was... A very, like, for example, he was the leader of a... I love this so much. He was a leader of a group called the American Cafe Society.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> that, that pretty much gives you an idea. Okay, so when I say he was, like, a dude, uh, he was a clothes horse. To give you an idea of that, he was popularly credited with possession of over 500 pairs of trousers and 5,000 neckties.
1: Wow.
0: Um. Yeah. That so, sounds
1: like a closet Kanye could be proud of.
0: Yeah, like, he... He really went for it, you guys. Um, he was reported to change his tie six times a day. Um, and he liked his colors bright and his patterns bold. He wore lavender spats, loud checked suits, and a profusion of tweeds. Which I really <laughs> like that phrase. Sometimes all together. Basically, his philosophy was... because uh, So, like, uh, Bo Brummels is another example of a very, like, dandy... But he was a very fashion plate dandy, right? Right.
1: Just... He was all about, like, the high, the high starched collars. Exactly. And he washed his boots in champagne and, and all that kind of stuff, right?
0: And, his, and like, the idea of Bo, Bo Brummels is, like, he would be on the cover of Us Weekly, like, or People Magazine or whatever saying, like, he wore it best. Like, he was the fashion plate. Whereas a Vanderberry wall was more like, I like this jacket. I like these pants. I like this color. I'm wearing them together. Um, And his philosophy was, find what suits you and always wear it. So he was kind of at the forefront. In fact, he's credited uh, with bringing, he's credited with introducing um, the tuxedo dinner jacket to, like, high society parties. Because at that time it was all tails. So he showed up to this, like, high society party wearing the dinner jacket. He was kicked out. Uh, And told to go change his jacket into tails because that was the appropriate thing to wear at these parties. Just a few years later, it became a standard for high society parties um, because a guy named James Potter had one done by uh, a, you know, by a tailor. um, And he wore it and it, he, okay, so he wore the new garment to parties at a local country club called the Tuxedo Club, which was named after Tuxedo Park, New York, which the origin of the name is unknown. But that's why we call it a tuxedo now.
1: Okay, so he was kind of like a, a, a fashion trendsetter before his time.
0: He was very much at like the, the forward bleeding edge of fashion, I would say. So let's talk about how he earned the title, The King of Dudes. Oh boy. So, dude at the time, like I said, was kind of a... It was like an insult, um, but not like... A slap in the face, I challenge thee to a dual insult. More like, oh, you got me. But he kind of started to adopt it with like, and wear it as a badge of pride. Kind of like the hipsters. Yeah, very much so. Like at first it was like, don't call me that. And then he was like, you know what? Yeah, sure. I'm a <laughs> dude. You got it. Um, And so the... He was proclaimed the King of Dudes by the New York uh, New York American newspaper. Basically, he engaged in a battle of the dudes against Robert Bob Hilliard, uh, who was another kind of, you know, sartorial fashion plate guy.
1: When you say that, do you know what I think of? What's that? A walk-off
0: from I,
1: Zoolander. This,
0: okay. <laughs> you ain't far off, darling. Um, basically, it said that he won the Battle of the Dudes when, in the March blizzard of 1888, he strode into a bar clad in gleaming boots of patent leather that went to his hips. Um, now, some historians claim that it was actually Hilliard that did that, but the majority of people agree that it was a Vanderberry wall, walked into a bar in the middle of a blizzard with hip high patent leather boots, and everyone was like, this man is the king of dudes! Wow. Um, I'm
1: trying to wrap my head around hip high they probably were like highlighters but without the suspenders I guess? And probably
0: far more uncomfortable I'd have to imagine. How do you walk in those? Exactly. (laughs) Um, And then there was a second contest in August of 1888 in order to cement his, uh, his title the king of dudes. He <laughs> to win a bet against John Betamillion Gates, uh, which is a pretty rockin' uh, nickname. He changed clothes forty times between breakfast and dinner in a single day. And he's described as he appeared on the racetrack in one flashy ensemble after the other until, exhausted but victorious, he at last entered the ballroom of the United States Hotel in faultless evening attire. Wow. Um, and when I first read that, I thought 40 changes of clothes. I think I could do that. Jeans to dress, pants. And then, but then when you think about it, you have to remember that this was not like he untied his shoes. This was like, he had a butler and a team of guys like unclasping and unhooking and like, because there weren't zippers. Right. You know what I mean? This was, and it wasn't like he was throwing on a t-shirt running in and running back. He was in 40 faultless, perfectly worn outfits. And
1: these clothes were difficult to put on, so they often required a second hand.
0: Exactly. So, at first I laughed when I read the, you know, exhausted but victorious. And I was like, you know what? He probably was exhausting to, like, show up and be like, oh, okay, excuse me, and run out. And, like, at, I picture it like Batman changing back and forth 40 times, but that's just my where I go. <laughs> um, but
1: I pictured Lady Gaga.
0: Okay, yeah, that's fair. Think about like a really like intense costume change. Mm-hmm. Um so basically just give it an idea of of the time it took to do this between dinner and 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 uh between breakfast and dinner. It was an average of every 18 minutes he was changing his outfit. Um, which is pretty impressive um, to wear forty different starch collars, forty different shirts, secured forty different sets of cufflinks on forty different sets of cuffs uh, with ascot ties and everything. Like he was, he was going for it. You know what I mean? He
1: meant serious business.
0: Exactly. Um, he was married. Uh, he married a woman named. Uh, they all have such great names. Salome Melbourne. Oh my! Uh, she was known as Lomi. Um. Her father was a general... This is maybe one of the greatest lines I've ever read in an article ever. Her father was a general, and her mother was a romantic. <laughs> I love that. Um, and she... That's why she got the name Salome. Um, and marriage didn't slow him down. Uh, this is when he got in, in the John bed 1000000 Gates 40 different outfits. Um, so then...
1: Well, I think that if you're if you're going to go for the king of dudes and wear 40 different outfits in a day, your wife probably has to be it, it, I wouldn't say supportive, but at least ambivalent about the whole From thing. From
0: everything I you find, they were like super in love. The, oh, that's the, great. That it was like for real, Z. Um uh, this wasn't this wasn't any like um, you know, entertainment tonight stuff. This was this was real. This was real romantic Lomi and Evander love. Um <laughs> So then, World War One breaks out, um, and I think I'm going to tell you some really awesome stuff about Evander. And maybe you're sitting there going, "Oh, this guy sounds kind of ooh fanciful and a little bit mm, hoity-toity." But I've got some stuff that I think is really going to win you over to his side, and I'm going to tell you about it right after this word from another Max Fun Show. Stop podcasting yourself. The stupid show that smart people love. Find it on iTunes. Or MaximumFun.org. So I think one of my favorite fun facts about a Vanderberry wall is that he had a string of chow chows named either Chi-Chi or Toy-Toy. And the first one was named Chi-Chi, and then he got Toy-Toy, and Chi-Chi died, and he got a new Chi-Chi. And he loved these dogs so much that when... Uh, in Europe, he, rather than fleeing to uh, Britain when World War I broke out, he there was a quarantine, a rabies quarantine, in which his dogs would have had to have been quarantined for six months. And he said, no, 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 no. And instead went to Spain. Rather oh. than be separated from his dogs for six months. Um,
1: where was but, he living at the time where he needed to flee to Spain?
0: Well, so basically what happened was he was broke. Okay. um and so he had moved to france mm. um in 1912 declaring new york had become fit only for businessmen uh because he, he had tried stockbroking and hadn't gone well at his stable owner career had ended um and he was basically spending all of his money rampantly on outfits and clothes and just a pretty lavish lifestyle mm-hmm. um so he moved to paris and around that time uh a trust that his mother had set up for him after her death came through, so he had this big new influx of money, and everybody in Europe loved him. Like, well, he, great! He Why was, not move
1: there? Yeah, right? he
0: was immediately welcomed into all these like you know Parisian and European social circles, and so then World War One breaks out, and he has to flee, leave Paris, um, and so rather than go to Europe, or rather than go to England. Goes to Spain so he can stay with his dogs. And the other thing I really, really liked is during World War I, um, upon returning to France... They used, he and Lomi used their social connections to raise money uh, on behalf of wounded servicemen. Oh. And they, like, had a pretty successful um, thing, especially benefiting, like, blinded soldiers. Mm -hmm. And they were known to, like, entertain the soldiers. Lomi was a great singer, and so she would perform for them. And they were even awarded uh, medals of honor by the French Legion. Oh wow! Yeah, so like they they were really cool about it, and I really like that fact. And uh, to get back to the chow chows, um, <laughs> Vander's love of clothes and fashion extended to his chow chows as well, and he would often commission from his tailors matching cravats and collars and ties for his dogs.
1: I know some people like this. Mm -hmm.
0: And they were known to eat with him at the Ritz or go out to the theater with him and he was pretty much inseparable from his dogs. So that's that's pretty damn charming, as far as I'm concerned. Well, the
1: rich and the famous have always enjoyed the company of canines. You can think about the Queen and her corgis. Exactly.
0: It also reminded me of uh, one of my other favorite uh, eccentric people from history, with Joshua Norton, uh, who was a man who had a mental breakdown and declared himself the first king of America. <laughs> and he was also known to be like go nowhere without his dogs and all of this stuff. And I think that that's the thing. That the companionship of dogs is pretty pretty well locked into a little bit of eccentricity. You know what I mean? Not that I'm saying you have to be a, eccentric to own a dog. You you get what I'm saying.
1: Right, yes. I I think I understand. So let's talk a little
0: bit about uh, the end of his life. Because, spoiler alert, he is dead.
1: <laughs> I, I did imagine that fact, seeing as how he was born in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. That's usually a pretty good indicator. If you're yes. born in 1860... You, Pretty well assume. Yes. Um, So his wife, uh, he outlived his wife, sadly, and he was described as heartbroken after that had happened. Um, And shortly after her death, began working on his memoirs um, titled Neither Pest Nor Puritan. Um, Also, as long as we're talking memoirs, it's important to note, Lomi wrote, Uh, memoirs of one of their dogs. Uh, Yeah, which I'm now desperately going to try to find. Um, Some interesting facts about the uh, memoirs that he wrote. I think in keeping with everything you might imagine and picture about a Vanderberry wall, uh, they were full of lies and exaggerations. Well, of course. Uh, For example, he... um, he claimed that he was great friends with Daniel Sickles and in, in inserts himself into the stories of Sickles shooting his wife's lover. Um, but that actually happened a year before Evander was born. <laughs> um, he also claimed to attend the notorious Bal des Quats Arts. Sure. On his Grand Tour of Paris in 1880, even though the first one was not held until 1892. Um, and he talks about Matahari, which he actually didn't know Matahari, um, but he pretty much really exaggerates how well he knew Matahari and kind of in- injects himself into the story. He also claims that from adulthood on, he never drank anything but champagne.
1: That would make him dead?
0: Well, probably. But the quote being, I think his statement was something along the lines of there are more old drunks than old doctors. Which I like as a bonbon. That idea of like, well, I'll drink champagne. I don't need to worry about my health because Mm -hmm. who knows anyways. Um, So when he passed away, and this I found fairly interesting. um, He, okay, so he, at the time of death, was worth only, uh, everything I read put it as only $12,608. Um, Which, in today's money, would be closer to $200,000. And most places listed that, like, it was a... He was only worth... But he, like... He wasn't penniless. He didn't yeah. have kids. He had nobody to, like, leave it to. He didn't have an estate. He'd scroll- I would say, they should be like... And even with all of that, he still was worth about $200,000 in today's <laughs> money. I'd say he did great. If anything, he should have been worth $0 and spent the last dollar and then died. <laughs> It is just funny to me that people would like to find it like and he'd spent all of his money. I'm like, yeah, he can't take it with him. Exactly. They spent time raising money for injured French soldiers. They they gave back. They did their part and then he died and he even had some money left over. <laughs> I'd say he did great. At least I don't think he had kids. Nothing I ever found had any reference to children. So I don't think Well, she...
1: how did Lomi die?
0: Um, I mean, she was 56 at the time. He was 79. Um she just died.
1: Well, I guess I assumed that it was in childbirth as well, is as is usual for for that time period.
0: Not an not an unsafe assumption for that time period, but nothing I found I I assumed it was just natural causes because yeah. nothing said
1: Well, if she was 56, she was probably no longer capable of carrying children.
0: Probably true. Um but yeah, from what I understand, they both just kind of died. You know, and it and was just so funny to me that everybody described it as a life wasted, that he was only worth $12,000 at the end of his death. And I was like, man, I'd love to have $12,000. <laughs>
1: I think he did great. Especially if you have no one to leave it to.
0: Exactly. What was he? He wasn't squandering it. He had a life that was like very, uh, you know, kind of reminiscent. Well, but except Gatsby was all kind of. Spoiler alert, manufactured. (laughs) His life was very like, this is what he was doing. You know, this was his life and he lived it, man. And it really sounded to me like he had a a great life. Now,
1: people seem to think that the idea of being famous for being famous is a new thing. But I'm starting to learn from, especially from his biography, that no, not a new thing at all. People, as long as they've had money, they've been famous for being famous.
0: And what it is, I think, is just a change of terms where like now we call it reality star and it used to just be socialite. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we used to, we used to have words for it and people used to write books about them and do all of that stuff. And at a certain point, it just became more salacious. And it was mm-hmm. a lot more of like, let's find out the nitty gritty dirt as opposed to calling them the king of dudes. <laughs> so, uh, what I've got here is these are some, um, life lessons taken from neither Pest nor Puritan that are kind of, uh, a Vanderbilt Wall's lessons on life. I'll read I'll read kind of the takeaway line and then you can read the quote. How's that sound? Sure. Okay, so the first one. No cheap stuff. Spring for the best.
1: Quality counts. It counts in clothes and it counts in friends. Stand out. It is personality that counts in clothes. People should wear what suits them and pleases them, and so add to the individuality of life.
0: Don't press your luck or your suits.
1: Have plenty of suits and change them often. Keep them hanging in between times and always have them whisked with a dampened brush. The wrinkles just float away.
0: (laughs) Have a butler wait on your every whim.
1: You cannot do without a man. He irons your trousers when you have finished wearing them and irons your hat, ready to put on. He keeps your wardrobe in order. In fact,
0: irons your hat. Yeah, I know. That was my takeaway from that statement, too. (laughs) I want someone to iron my hat. I
1: don't... How... How would... I'm picturing a top hat for some reason. I, I
0: don't you couldn't know. You can
1: iron a top hat. I don't know. Maybe you, could, maybe you could iron a beret. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Don't be a slob.
1: The untidy dress of today militates against smartness. I don't know what militates
0: means. I don't either. I don't know what that statement means at all, but sure, great. I like this one a lot. On a boy's night, dress even nicer.
1: Women kept apart in those days, so men dressed to enliven the scene.
0: I love that. Uh, I should mention, all of these are from The Asterisk Today, uh, an article written by James Leffler. And uh, James is the one who kind of summarized all of these. But the quotes are from a Vanderberry wall. Stick to champagne to complement your ensemble.
1: You're all swimming in heavy seas, and champagne helps keep your chins above the foam.
0: Details, details.
1: The trick of French women is attention to detail. That, and harmony... Of line and color.
0: Haters are going to... Well, you know.
1: In great caricature, there is always kindness and wisdom. And certainly, those made of me have cost me of no friends.
0: And finally, the best costume is yourself.
1: My secret of dress is like my secret of life. Find what suits you, stick to it, and get the very best.
0: I love it. So, that's that's the Vanderberry wall in a nutshell. Um, You know, here's what I like about him. My kind of takeaway from it. I him. was
1: going to ask... What what why do you, are you drawn so much to this man? I I like
0: a character period. Um <laughs> I I also like anybody who like knows who they are and they're not trying to pretend to be anything else. But he said and goes listen, I'm a guy who likes to wear flashy clothes and get attention for it and that's me. Like, I'm not trying to do that and also claim to be a super good person. I mean, his book is called Neither Puritan Nor Pest. And kind of his overall feeling about himself was like, I'm not a good person. I'm not a bad person. I'm just a person who likes to make a scene and likes to, like, wear flashy clothes and be known for it and be known for myself. And, like, he just knows who he is. And he doesn't try to pretend to be anything else. And I think that that's great. You know, I think that he had people sitting there going, "You're just like a foppish dandy who's, you know, just cares about clothes." And he was like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. I super am." Like, so,
1: so you really like how self assured the man was.
0: Yeah, and also like self aware. You know, where like he wasn't sitting there going, "Like, well, no, the reason I like clothes is no." He's just like, "Yeah." You're right. Like, I get you. You're not wrong, man. Like, I did it. And it also seems like the stuff that he was known for, he deserved to be known for. You know what I mean? Like, his claim to fame was pretty accurate. He was the king of dudes and he, like, earned it and made a big deal out of earning it. And, like, he also, it's not like he was making tons of money off of it. So I think that's a difference of, like, being famous or being famous now versus then is like, he was well known and he was definitely famous, but he wasn't, ma- he wasn't increasing his personal wealth by making a splash on the social scene. Hmm. He was just increasing awareness of him. Everybody knew who he was, but he wasn't like selling. He did, his book was published posthumously and like that. He didn't have a reality series. People weren't making movies based on his life. Like he was just, li- and he wasn't living. You the- don't
1: think he was getting paid for appearances at places? No,
0: I mean he wasn't. I, thi- I don't know. I mean, about well, that. let's just put it this way: he started with two million dollars, added to that from his mother's trust, but he, w- he- it wasn't like he died with eight million dollars. Oh, that- yes, that's true. You know what I mean? So, like, he was spending his money. He did have those chow
1: chows to support.
0: He did, um, but that's the- that's the thing I like about him: was like he was just living his life, and he wasn't doing it to make money off of it. God knows. (laughs) You know, so... Hopefully he would have done a better job. Exactly. Or he was real bad at it. (laughs) Um, And plus, I just think he's a fun, eccentric character who wasn't hurting anybody. You know what I mean? Most historical characters you read about were like, and also, they had slaves. Or, and also, they killed a thousand people. (laughs) This guy was just like, he even helped people when he could. You know what I mean? So I, I would say that he was just a pretty normal guy who also happened to be the king of dudes. There you have it. Um, So I think that's going to do it for this week. Um, Next week, you'll hear our first ever live episode, which we're super excited about. You're listening to this on the day of our first ever live show. Um, So we're super excited. Thank you to everybody in advance who comes out tonight and is very supportive. (laughs) This is the past, present, future participle.
1: As always, thank you to Brent Black, Brental Floss, for our... um, Music, and you can find a ringtone based on that music on iTunes. Um, also, thank you to Kayla M. Wassell. Please check out her portfolio and dig her stuff, because she did such a great job on our banner and thumbnail.
0: And I want to uh, credit my sources. Thank you to Wikipedia, uh, New York Social Diary, Today I Found Out, Head Stuff, New York Sun, and the asterisk Today. Um, th- they all had articles. Man, I tell you what, a Vanderberry Wall, I thought it would be hard to find information on him. Apparently, he's popular with a lot of other people, too. Um, If you have any fun characters that you're like, man, I'd love to hear him talk about this. He's, and I should stress here, It's great if they have something tied in with, like, social society and etiquette and Schmanners. (laughs) Not just like, here's a weird guy.
1: That's kind of, you know, what this
0: is about. But if you just want to tell me about a weird (laughs) guy, I'm on board with that. Uh, You can tweet at us at SchmannersCast, join the Facebook group, all that stuff. And if you get a chance and you wouldn't mind going and rating and reviewing and subscribing and all that stuff on iTunes, we sure would appreciate it. It
1: really does help us out.
0: Go check out all the other amazing shows on Maximum Fun. Um, we've added a lot of new ones lately, like uh, The uh, Greatest Generation, Beef and Dairy Network, Adam Ruins Everything, and all of them are great. Every show on the network's great. You're going to find one that you love. Maybe more. Probably more than one. At There's, least
1: I love more than one.
0: You're going to find at least 16 that you love. <laughs> and I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, tune in again next week.
1: No RSVP required.
0: You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners. Manners.
1: Get it? org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.